Wow, thank you guys so much for the encouragement that you just gave to your neighbor and especially to, uh, to me. Man, hey, good singing to a preacher is like saying sick him to a dog. I mean, man, I am pumped and I didn't even have any monster energy drinks today or anything. Uh, but I enjoy coming and, and being with you. I enjoy being here and, and worshiping and I enjoy being able to sing these songs, to, to watch our children, to, to share in communion. And I hope that you've been looking forward uh, to being here and, and to talk more about the idea of messy grace. This is a subject uh, that we have been on now, the idea of messy grace, for about a month. But the overall subject of grace for the entire year so far in 2018. And I appreciate the feedback that, that you have been given. And I, I've heard from many people, even this week, who have shared with me stories of gracelessness. Individuals who have shared stories of just wondering if they measure up, if, if they're good enough, and, and how God looks at them, and, and how, much, how much love does God have, and how far does grace, how far does grace go? Something we've been saying over the last few weeks is that grace is the one thing the church has to offer that the world can't get anywhere else. Can't get anywhere else. You would love to have a little grace at work, right? You would love to be able to receive a little bit of grace at school. You would love to be able to be pulled over and receive a little grace from those who are serving and protecting. But grace is the one thing the church has to offer that the world just can't get anywhere else. And so we've said that when grace then is stressed in the church, that people should be getting blessed by the church. There should be blessings that flow from, from you and from your neighbor, from, from those who are hearing this message of grace, then those who are around us should be being changed by the way that we are interacting, the lives that we are living, the message that we are sharing, the grace that we are given. And let's just be honest, the world needs a lot of grace. I mean, because a lot of people just have one job, and they don't do it very well. Take whoever was in charge of this. Look closely. I mean, they had one job, right? Or whoever put together this shirt. Some of you might be looking going, looks good to me. I don't understand. <laughs> now, this one really bothered me here because I, I like, I like these. I mean, when you put the wrong end in the chocolate, I mean, don't you notice, right? And for those of you who are directionally challenged, you would not want to have this remote control. <laughs> but I am going left. I am. I am. Right? And Sean White, our youth minister, is gone this week. He is on uh, spring break with the family. Wish them well as uh, he and um, Sheena and the kids are at Disney. And so I put this one on in honor of him. He's a huge Batman fan. Don't think he would appreciate if Colin came home with this particular bag. And we all love to go to Target, right? But even those at Target need a little grace. I want to go in, but I can't. <laughs> I just need some toothpaste. Let me in, please. <laughs> and how many of you guys have gotten a new phone recently? I don't know if yours floats in water. But this one doesn't either, apparently. 
But man, what a great deal that would be, right? Floats in water. And I know so many of our kids, we live in a generation where it seems like everybody gets a trophy, right? We want to make everybody feel good. How about if you got thirst? (laughs) At least you can say you received something that nobody else did, right? You were the only one that came in thirst. That would be, (laughs) that would be great. Uh, But how about if your one job was the fortune cookie guy? And you were supposed to put in the fortune cookie, the fortune that says the job is well done, right? (laughs) Hey, you had one job and you could not get it done. Here is something that everybody needs to hear. And I hope that you will share this with someone this week. Your failures are not fatal. Maybe you're here this morning and this is truly a message that you need. Your failures are not fatal. You know, wouldn't it be great if God somehow equipped each one of us with a time machine function where we were just able to go back in time and change things or, or maybe go back in time and, and talk to our younger self and give some advice and say, you know what, it would probably be good if you thought twice before taking this particular step. Maybe you would go back to before you ever spoke those words to your brother or sister Maybe you would go back before the affair. Maybe you would go back to right before you took that first drink or right before the night that you walked out on your family or right before you accepted your ex-boyfriend's Facebook request or, or right before you agreed to that first date. It was before you took that job and went out of town. Maybe it was before you walked into the abortion clinic. You might not be locked behind bars this morning. But that doesn't mean you're not a prisoner. Because so many of us are imprisoned by our past regrets. We had one job. Be faithful. And we couldn't do it. We had one job. Tell the truth. But we failed. We had one job. Be present. And yet we've been so far away. One job, one thing that it seems like everybody else is able to do, one thing that it looks like everyone else is successful at. We had one job, and yet we failed. And ever since, we have been imprisoned by the regrets of our failure. Came across a website recently called Secret Regrets. And it it just lists the regrets of thousands of people who who go online and, and list what it is that imprisons them. Here's a few examples. I regret when you were a baby and I was 18 that my boyfriend was violent and I was too scared to stand up for you and me and they took you away. That was 20 years ago and I think about it every day. I regret complaining about us walking too slowly and you leaning on me for balance. It was so much harder for you being handicapped. I was just a kid. I'm sorry, mom. I regret that I never told you kids I love you when you were growing up. I regret that for some reason I still can't say those words. I regret that I was a self-centered mother who didn't let you help in the kitchen because I didn't want it to get messy. There are others that are less specific that are listed there. 
I regret giving you my heart when all you wanted was my body. I regret that I never saved any money and I'll never be able to retire. I regret that I never told you how I felt. I regret that I didn't fight for us. I regret how much time I spent complaining and criticizing. If there's one thing that it seems like the human race all have in common, it's that we all live to some degree with regrets that we have in our life. We wish that we could go back in time. We wish that we could do something differently. But the memory of your failure cannot be stronger than the reality of Christ's forgiveness. Go ahead and write that down in your GPH if you want to this morning. Write it down in your GPH, take it home and put it on a card, stick it somewhere on a mirror, keep it somewhere close to you. The memory of your failure cannot be stronger than the reality of Christ's forgiveness. It's not just a, a slogan, it's not just some catchy words, it's, it's something that is borne out in the story of Scripture. See, the Bible tells us of a night when there were two disciples, two disciples who did something they never thought that they would do. It was the night of Jesus' arrest, he was in an upper room with those who were closest to him, he was sharing in a Passover meal. Remembering God's redemption, remembering God's deliverance that he had given to the Israelite people. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of, of laughter. It was a time of singing. It was a time of joy. It was a time of deep remembrance. It was in this setting that Jesus would take bread and wine and he would look at those he loved and said, I want you to take this, but I want you to take it not in remembrance of what God or how God delivered Israel, I want you to take it and remember how I am going to deliver you. Those around the table didn't understand everything that was going to be taking place. But one by one, they would take bread and cup. One by one, they would share in the love of Jesus. Jesus would look around the table and he would say, this very night... This very night, you will all fall away on the count of me. Scripture said that it was there at that time that Judas made the decision that he would betray the Christ. He would get up from that meal and he would, he would leave to go and do what had been building in his heart. When Peter heard that Jesus, when Jesus said, look, you're going to fall away, he was indignant. And he passionately objected. And he, and he told Jesus, he said, truly I say, I will never do this. Jesus says, before you hear the rooster crow, you will deny me not once, not twice, but you will have denied me three times. Peter doubles down. He says, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. If only that could be so. Jesus and his disciples get up from the table they leave the upper room. They begin to make their way out of Jerusalem. Go along an area called the Mount of Olives. They enter into a garden known as Gethsemane. It's there that Jesus tells his disciples that he needs to pray and ask for them to be in prayer with him. And it's while he is unloading the burden of his soul in the presence of his father that Judas returns, this time with some 600 men. He walks up to Jesus, and with a kiss of betrayal, he signals who it is that is to be taken captive. 
Peter wanting to follow through and his promise with all of his bravado, he pulls a sword and he ends up injuring one of the soldiers of the high priest. Jesus tells him to put it away, heals the servant, and then is taken away. And at this, all the disciples flee except for Peter and John. They, they watch from a distance. They watch from a distance, and it's from a distance that Peter is approached, and someone accuses him of, of being among the followers of Jesus, and he says it's not true. Someone else comes to him and says, I know, I saw you with the Galilean. He says, I'm telling you, it's not me, it's somebody that looks like me. Finally, someone else comes and says, you know what, your, your speech gives you away. For the third time, he calls down curses and he says that he does not know Jesus. And then the rooster crows. It's here in the story that I need to tell you that you cannot let your present regrets destroy future opportunities. You see, both Peter and Judas end up being filled with guilt and regret over what they have done. If they could go back and undo it, if they could go back and start over, they would, but they can't, and you can't. You did the one thing that you promised yourself that you would never do, and it cannot be undone. Maybe you did it once. Maybe you did it three times. Maybe you did it more times than you can even count, and now you've lost track. And it feels like now that a few days or a few hours, a few minutes, or maybe even a few seconds will forever define your life. Will you remember this? Remember that your present regrets can't destroy your future opportunities. You say, well, how in the world can I, how, how can I not, how can I move past what it is that I have done? How about this? Why not let your regrets lead you to remorse? Peter remembered the words of Jesus when he said, before the rooster crows, you will disown me. And the text says in Matthew 26 that he went outside and he wept bitterly. You see, that's the right response when confronted with sin. But unfortunately, we come face to face with our own shortcomings, with our own sinfulness. We do everything we can, it seems, to avoid remorse. Maybe we rationalize. Some of the common rationalizations that I hear, I, I hear people, they say, you know what, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm not hurting anyone. I've heard people say, I can't help it. God has just made me this way. Can't help the way that I feel. I've had individuals tell me before, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy, and so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, living the way that I'm living. You can't always tell, you can always tell when someone is rationalizing because you get the feeling they're trying to convince themselves that what they're doing is okay. Maybe you don't rationalize, maybe you just justify. We use justification as a way to get around remorse. And it usually takes the form of blaming anyone and, and anything except ourselves. And so we have, we have instances where we say, you know what, if my parents weren't so permissive, or we just say, you know, if my parents hadn't been so strict, if my wife hadn't been so critical, or if my husband 
if he had been more attentive, if my boss wasn't so unfair, if the culture wasn't so corrupt, there's always a reason. There's always someone, somebody else to blame as to why we do the things that we do. And then we look at others and we make comparisons. And we try to make ourselves out to be better because at least we can say, well, you know what? What I have done might be bad, but at least I didn't do. And then we fill in the blank with what a coworker has engaged in or what somebody else in the family did. Maybe you've tried to run away from remorse by being distracted. It's a big one. We never stop long enough to look at ourselves in the mirror. We never take time to reflect upon the decisions we've made. We fill up every waking minute with some work or a relationship or entertainment. Anything that will give us a happy few seconds, anything that will allow us to escape. And I guess that's the, that's the extreme form of distraction. The idea that we just try to escape it all. We can't deal with the reg- regret, so we pop a few pills. We smoke some weed, we get drunk, we pull out the credit card, we go on a shopping spree. We self-medicate trying to just numb the guilt, trying to get away from the pain, anything for just a little while so that we can be able to survive. Why not allow allow your remorse to lead to repentance? Allow the regrets that you have to lead you to remorse and allow the remorse that you have to lead you to repentance. Do something different than what it is that you have always done. Now, here's something cool that you might not realize. And it's something that even though I've heard this story so often, it's something that, it's something that I, I don't know, I had forgotten about. I, I saw it though while we were studying. And that's the fact that, that both Peter and Judas own their mistakes. Listen to Matthew 27. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. And so he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the lady priest and the elders, and he says, I have sinned, for I have betrayed an innocent man. Did you realize that Judas repented of the sin? Did you realize that Judas turned, that he changed, that, that he realized that what he was doing was wrong? Oftentimes in this story, we know that J- Judas betrayed Jesus. We know that he goes in and kisses him in the garden. And yet we don't realize that he allowed his regret to turn to remorse and his remorse to return to repentance. Judas returned the 30 pieces of silver that he had taken. And it's good for us to try to make things right. As much as possible, we need to take responsibility for our actions and for the consequences of our actions. But let's just be honest. There's a lot of times we can't put all the eggs back in the basket. And maybe that's one of the most significant reasons why we have such a hard time with regrets. Judas returns the blood money to the high priest. And they tell him, what do we care? And they use a phrase that in our English Bibles say, it's your problem. Some translations say, you see to it. it. It's a phrase that basically means, hey, you made your bed, now you go lie in it. You live with what you've done. But Judas can't. Judas realizes that he can't undo what he has done. He can't fix what has been broken. He cannot put the pieces back together. He could not deal with the regret that was present in his life. And he was convinced that his regrets were greater than God's redeeming grace. 
And because he couldn't live with the weight of what he had done, he went out and killed himself. Now, most individuals will not deal with their regrets by way of suicide. But I am convinced that many people are slowly killing themselves with regret. Don't let your present regrets destroy future opportunities. What if Judas had waited? What if he had waited just a few days? What if he had believed that that God's grace was greater than his regrets? Think about all he had missed. Think about how he could have found out that his failure was not fatal to Jesus. Think about what you've missed. You've become certain that God can no longer use you. You are sure of the fact that you have fallen too far. And you have let opportunity after opportunity to live as an heir of the kingdom pass you by. You see, your regrets should lead to remorse. Your remorse should lead to repentance. And your repentance should lead you back to Jesus. One early morning after Jesus had risen, Peter was out with some of his disciples fishing. It's what he did for a living. It was what he did before Jesus came and said, hey, how about you come and look for people for me? Maybe he'd returned to the business feeling like a failure because he had denied and done the one thing that he said he would never do. Maybe he'd repented of his sin. Maybe he had begged for forgiveness, but he felt now that he must live a life of regret, thinking of how he could have changed and how he could have done things differently. And how he was no longer worthy to be called a disciple, no longer worthy to be an apostle. He would just be a fisherman, living with the if only, if only, if only I would have been true. From the boat, Peter sees a lone figure walking on the seashore. He's about a hundred yards out and the man that's there calls out to the boat and asks if they've caught anything. They say it has been a terrible night. He says, well, why don't you try your net on the other side? And they began to reap in all types of fish. And Peter realizes. Peter realizes that this isn't the first time it's happened. It's happened before. It happened again on a time when they had been fishing and hadn't caught anything. And Jesus had told him, why don't you put out the deep water? Put your net on the other side. And they got so much fish that their boats almost sank. And he realizes, this guy has got to be Jesus. He can't wait for the boat to get to shore. He jumps out. He dives into the water. He swims to meet him. Don't let your present regrets destroy future opportunities. What if Peter had just stayed in the boat? You see, the most difficult journey is back to the place where you failed. It's going back and looking the person in the eye who you left and saying that you're sorry. It's going to the one that you hurt. It's it's being in the presence of those who hurt you. The most difficult journey is back to the place where you did the one thing that you said you would never do. And so there he arrives on the shore and he, and wouldn't you know it, Jesus has this charcoal fire going. Same kind of fire that he had been warming himself by, Peter had, the night of his own betrayal. And have you noticed how a distinctive smell can take you back in time? 
You smell some dingy locker room and all of a sudden you feel like you could run a hundred yards. And you remember just how good you thought you were when you played football. You get that smell, that distinctive smell that reminds you of a summer job, a distinctive perfume that reminds you of the first date with your wife. And I can just imagine the smell of those burning charcoals triggering in Peter's mind the last time that he stood around the fire when he denied Jesus. Did you know that for some people, church is that trigger? Did you know that for some, church is the most difficult place to return to? Because we have people in this room this morning who are present at the place where they say they failed the most. They failed God in the midst of the church community. They failed the expectations that their brothers and sisters had for them. They did the one thing they said they would never do. And now to be here triggers all that again. And they feel unworthy. And they feel unloved. And they feel as if there is no future in the family of God. As they stood around that fire, three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter affirmed his love all three times. Then Jesus would say, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's Jesus' way of telling Peter that you do not have to be bound by your regrets. You do not have to be imprisoned by your past. And then he tells Peter something. And again, I have, I've heard lessons from this particular passage so often. And I know probably you have too. And you've heard about how that, all right, he does three times. Do you love me? Just like Peter denied him three times and all the different symbolism. But don't miss what happens in verse 19. This is where Jesus looks at Peter and says, follow me. Follow me. And he uses a word that in, that in their language meant not just to walk along behind, but to, but to be partners with. Do you understand that Jesus looks at the one who swore that he would never do the one thing? He says, you can still walk with me. Grace has the power to redeem regret. And you can walk with Jesus again. You can walk with Jesus again. He said, but I cheated my family. That's right, you did. But you can walk with Jesus again. He said, I lied. You did. But you can walk with Jesus again. I cheated. I got drunk. I got stoned. I did the one thing that I said I would never do. You did. 
But will you allow your regret to lead you to remorse? And will you allow your remorse to lead you to repentance? And will you allow your repentance to lead you to Jesus? You can walk with him again. You see, God's grace is greater than your failure. I've known elders Bible class teachers deacons men, women adults, children servants of God who because of the one thing the one job because of their failure have taken a back seat in the kingdom thinking they had nothing else to offer no good could be done and wondering if they could ever be right with God again you see when we miss grace and live with guilt that guilt usually resurfaces as regret and shame and they can but they don't often go together they're not mutually exclusive but there is a difference between regret and shame simply regret is feeling bad about something you have or haven't done but shame is feeling bad about who you are and how you think you are perceived by God and others if you have regrets allow those regrets to lead to remorse allow that remorse to lead you to repentance allow that repentance to lead you to Jesus and if you're here this morning with shame will you allow the grace of God to be greater than your failure follow him come home as we stand and sing